Okay, and welcome to another episode of the Morbidly Deceased Podcast. I am your host, JT McCallum, and I am joined today by screenwriter Max Landis. Hi, Jason. Uh, <laughs> nice, to, nice to be here. Yeah, it's really awesome to have you on, Max. I greatly appreciate it. Um, it's kind of surreal because like, uh, I've listened to so many podcasts that you're on, and I always dreamed of having a podcast of my own, so having you on it is pretty crazy. So, <laughs> is this your first episode? No, this is episode fifteen or fourteen. Actually, we just did a whole uh, Friday the Thirteenth uh, uh, review, essentially for the whole series. That was pretty fun. Oh, thrilling! Yeah. So yeah, but but you are the first guest on the show, um, at least the first famous guest. I mean, we had my mom on telling ghost stories, <laughs> so. I'm I'm honored I'm honored to be on the same podcast as your mom. You've uh, you've followed me for a long time, and when you asked me, I thought, well, I'm not doing anything else today. So oh, perfect. Well, thank you very much, Max. I greatly appreciate that. I'm happy to be here. So, what's your favorite Friday the Thirteenth? Uh, I like Part Six is my favorite. I'm not a huge fan of the whole series. Um, I think that they're kind of weak personally, but they are fun if you have a group of friends to watch them. Um, I I enjoy Part Three for. Uh, the goofiness and campiness of it. Um, but uh, it's funny because last night I was just telling you that uh, I was at um, a triple feature drive-in and they showed the original Friday the 13th as the last movie. So that was a pretty cool experience. <laughs> kind of cap off emotionally your journey through the films. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it was yeah. Uh, Grease and Raiders of the Lost Ark and then Friday the 13th. <laughs> Oh, wow. No theme other than just here are some good movies. Paramount. That's what we figured out. They're all three Paramount movies. It's hilarious. Right? <laughs> um, okay, so I'm just going to jump into um, a couple questions here for you just to break the ice a little bit. Um, so here's 13 yeah, questions. Um, what was the very first movie that ever scared you? Oh my gosh, so many movies scared me because I was scared when I was little, I was very easy to scare. Uh, Ursula getting stabbed with the ship at the end of The Little Mermaid scared right. me. I was, I was a kid who was very willing to be scared. I also, I know this is gonna sound really silly, but I was unsettled by very basic things in movies, right. like murder, okay. like <laughs> murder really upset me, so like, just to go back to Disney, when Scar killed Mufasa and the Lion King, I was, I think, legitimately horrified. I was like, but that's his brother. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I really, I, my suspension of disbelief was maybe too strong. I couldn't believe that someone would die in a movie. Right, that's right. Um, uh, I was upset. I know I was upset when Penguin died in Batman Returns. <laughs> I found it horrifying. Him spitting out all that blood and then yeah. sort of imp <laughs> it impotently trying to fire an umbrella and then dying. Something about that was very visceral for me. Right. I th I'd say, yeah, that. I would say Danny DeVito's death in Batman Returns is the first time I can remember being really unsettled by something. Interesting. Um, what was the most recent movie that like really got under your skin? Oh, God, any movie. Really? Uh, I, I, still, yeah. I, I saw a movie that I didn't think was very effective ultimately, but pretty good. It, it, it's called Tigers Are Not Afraid. It's a Spanish film. Right, on Shudder, and, right? On Shudder, yeah. And, and I was a little, I would describe myself as a little bit extremely disappointed with the ending of the film. Right. Uh, um, but for a minute there, it, it was pretty eerie. And, and it, had, it had some wonderful sort of fanciful 
scary stuff in it. Uh, the, the TV series Escape at Danamora had a few scenes in them that I thought were pretty startling and, and, and traumatizing. Right. Um, but, but really, it's been a while since a movie like Straight Up scared me. Right. Uh, Hereditary was unpleasant to watch. That was a uh, miserable movie, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I enjoyed Hereditary a lot, but I can't foresee myself ever watching it ever again. <laughs> yeah, for me, I felt a little betrayed by the last 10 minutes of Hereditary. Right. Um, in a way that sort of made the rest of it less scary in hindsight, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, sort of retroactively de-scarified it. Right. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's really scary lately. There are some moments in the Soska sisters' new rabbit that are pretty gross. Right. And, and freaky. I really enjoyed that. I think that's on Shudder, too. I believe it is, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that movie much more. I was like, oh, they made a remake of Rabbit? And I, I kind of walked into it expecting less, and I was surprised at how unforgiving it was. Right. Okay, um, who is your favorite horror author? Oh, Stephen King. I mean, <laughs> I, it's, he's, he's just the best. For me, he's just inarguably the best one. And sure. even, though, even though he's a pop author, he, he really, he did it. I mean, like, the room you go into in The Shining, that scene on page, I had to put, put the book down four times. How old like, were you when you started reading Stephen King? Uh, about tw 10 or 12. Okay, because I only recently got into him. Um, I was, I don't even know why, but I was such like an anti-Stephen King kid. I don't know why, but like I never read any of his stuff until like two years ago when the Pet Cemetery remake was coming out and I read the book and I was like, holy shit, there's way more to this than I ever thought there could be. Yeah, it's kind of incredible how big he makes things feel. For sure. It, it even, even little moments, like a cat acting strangely, can feel huge in a oh, Stephen King. Oh, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, you were anti-Stephen King. Were you pro anybody? Um, not even. I, I think I was just going through that period when you're like 13 and you're like, you hate everything that's popular. <laughs> and then, so like during that period of my life, like I had a bunch of friends that were into Stephen King. And so I, I felt I had to be against Stephen King just because they were all into Stephen King. <laughs> Oh my God, how stressful for you. Right? And then, uh, yeah, like I said, like I, I, I got into Pet Cemetery and was like awkwardly asking those same friends, like, hey, do you have any more Stephen King recommendations for me? <laughs> so I like, I, I have an issue, which is that I tend to like his stranger things, like his stranger work. Like, like I, I'm a big, big dark half guy. Oh my God, yeah. Do you like the movie with the, the one that George Romero did? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it is fun, right? <laughs> It's, 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 uh, wait, wait, who, who directed that? I thought that was a John Carpenter movie. Uh, George Romero, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, George Romero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah Thad Beaumont, you know, George Stark. I, right. I really, for me, something about that one always really, I just thought it was cool. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> I, I thought it was so cool that Stephen King can write these sweeping epics, Lovecraftian monsters, but then he can also write uh, your your fetal twin is just coming to kill you for no reason because you killed him in a publicity stunt. Right, like, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's like, how does one guy have so many different cool ideas? And right? that, that was always just a huge inspiration to me. Right. Um, as a kind of sub-question, uh, do you like H.P. Lovecraft or do you find him to be overrated? 
Uh, he is, of course, overrated, except for, you know, like the color out of space. It's impossible to be overrated when you're the Rolling Stones. Right. Stephen, <laughs> Stephen, Stephen King is the Beatles. So it's it, the shocking thing about him is you can't even argue that he's overrated because, oh, you don't like The Shining? Oh, do you like The Stand? Oh, you don't like The Stand? Do you like Christine? Right. Oh, you don't, like, you, don't, you don't like horror? Okay. Do you like, <laughs> right. do you like The Body? Do you like The Green Mile? Do you right. like Shock Redemption? Like, you, you can't escape how good he is. That's Whereas, I feel like with, with Lovecraft, if you listen to the Rolling Stones song, you can think they're a bad band and overrated. Right. But if you listen to the right Rolling Stones song, like <laughs> for instance- the world. <laughs> yeah, like for instance, the, the Color Out of Space is right. to me, the, his sympathy for the devil. Right. He's just like, <laughs> It feels like it was written yesterday. Like the, the yeah. prose is so hip, it moves so fast, it's so creepy, it's so effective, it's so effortless. You get what it is and you never get where it's going and he never explains anything. I mean like Lovecraft is, I mean he's cool. He's, he's <laughs> unbelievably cool. And he right. was the first one to the plate in many ways. Oh, for sure. Um, okay, what's your favorite horror book then? Um, Favorite horror book? What, what do you describe as horror? Um, I'd be willing to accept anything that has something that unsettled you or has an overall, like, some sort of, like, monster or something just unpleasant in it. Um, probably the autobiography of Malcolm X. Okay. <laughs> uh, that, that was uh, probably the most unsettled I've... Uh, I've been while reading a book because it was, it described, are you aware of the cult? Um, the, uh, oh God, what are they called? The Brotherhood of Allah, the Muslim Brotherhood? No, yeah. So the, it's, it's basically black Scientology. Okay. And it, it's a cult that, uh, that was started in the forties or fifties by basically black L Ron Hubbard. Right. But their, their main thing was that actually Africa, pre-colonization, had been a super advanced future society. Like this incredible, it was like Wakanda. Right. And, and, then, and then the white people came and ruined it all. Which is interesting because it's kind of true. We have, right. this, we have this cultural image of Africa as like this savage place, but it was more like Europe. It was like black Europe. There were all different kingdoms. And then white people came in and fucked everything up. But it was, you know, it, it was like medieval Europe in that it was also super problematic and there were genocides and, right. you know, it was good in the same ways and bad in the same ways. Right. But anyway, this guy, basically his thing was, no, it was Wakanda. And also white people were created in a lab by a scientist with a giant brain named Dr. Jakob. <laughs> and white people were created to destroy black people by a black mad scientist. So I was like, when they were introducing this in the autobiography of Malcolm X, I still didn't know much about Malcolm X. So I, I was like, what does this have to do with anything? And then slowly I became aware that Malcolm, you know, uh, I, oh God, I can't believe I'm so embarrassed that I don't have Malcolm X's uh, first uh, sort of birth name committed to memory, but... <laughs> 
he was seduced it, like by Palpatine. Right. By, he was by these guys because he was so charismatic. He was basically Anakin Skywalker. And they seduced this young, smart man who's such a great speaker into believing this insane racist myth. Right. And, and, and then the head guy, Malcolm X, ended up finding out that this dude was a pedophile and was using this whole cult to basically protect himself. So Malcolm X in jail turned on him and became the Malcolm X we all know and love, basically uh, Batman to Martin Luther King's Superman. Right. <laughs> you know, like he switched over, but something about reading about that, I, I was 16, I think when I read that, or maybe older, maybe 20. But I remember thinking it was my first introduction really to the concept of a cult and to the idea that people who are desperate enough will just believe anything. Mm -hmm. And that made me so scared. And I know that's not a horror thing, but that has scared me to this day. Well, that's understandable though. Like that, especially at, like, at that point in your life though, if you're reading about stuff like that and you're like learning about the world, like that's a scary concept. Yeah, and it was and it was a guy. It was a guy who I admired. Got yeah. like got like suckered completely. A dude who the book had told me was really smart, and I was like, "Oh, so it can happen to anyone?" And right. you just stop. You just stop listening to reason. Oh. And then you know, now we are where we are with our country. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, your country. I'm in Canada. <laughs> oh, you lucky bastard. <laughs> okay. Next question. Um, what's your favorite horror video game? Uh, favorite horror video game? That's hard. There have been so many. The first Outlast is so fun. Um, oh God, there's that's actually way harder because <laughs> there's so many good horror video games. What the fuck is that video game where you're at the bottom of the ocean? Oh, in that Bioshock? No, 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 no. That's not. No, I know fucking Bioshock. Bioshock. <laughs> no, no, no. The other one. You're you're like a. You're a guy who, I don't want to say the spoiler to the video game, but you're a guy at the bottom of the ocean. You wake up in this mysterious underwater base and uh, you have to do things uh, to try to stop a, a computer meltdown. And then it gets scarier and scarier and scarier. Um, and then of course, you know, what was that Guillermo video game he did with, this, with Kojima? Oh, I forgot the name of it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying resident evil resident evil the one the homecoming one with the right. rednecks <laughs> do you what's that one called i don't remember i am not honestly i was talking about this with my my other co-host and i'm not a huge fan of the resident evil series i'm ashamed to say no i hate the resident evil series right but someone was like you gotta try this one it's like texas chainsaw massacre but with unstoppable wolverine zombies and i was like <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm, that does sound like something I like. Right. Um, did you ever play the game uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors for the Super Nintendo? Yeah, of course. I was waiting for the movie adaptation. That's fun as shit, right? <laughs> yeah, so fun. The slime and the squirt guns. Yeah, it's so good. Um, okay, next question. Uh, what's your favorite uh, horror remake, if any? Oh, Hills Have Eyes. Interesting. What, any yeah, particular I, reason? I, I, yeah, because I think the original Hills Have Eyes is bad. Oh. <laughs> and it's like a dumb, bad movie. And then they remade it and made it a cool monster western. Right. 
so like anything that gets better when it's remade, I mean, you can almost never say that. That is true. Um, and Hills Have Eyes is so much better than the OG Hills Have Eyes. Just out of curiosity, did and I'm I'm gonna assume I know the answer, but did you enjoy the 2011 version of of the thing? What do you mean? Like the the prequel to John Carpenter's the thing? No, of course not. No one, no one did. I I, I kind of liked it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I was also 14 when that movie came out, so <laughs> if I was 14, that'd be the sickest movie ever made. But I also love the 1951 version and the John Carpenter one. But I think you that... Love the, you love the thing from another world? I do. <laughs> wow, you're okay. a... In all fairness, though, I had the you're best... Down. You're down to love stuff. I had the best experience watching it, though, because I, I got it um, at a flea market, and I watched it on VHS with my sister in the garage in December, <laughs> so there was no heat. So, like, our atmosphere, like, we had to wear, like, winter jackets, so our atmosphere watching it was, it felt like we were in the movie, so. <laughs> that's actually, that's pretty great. You you did, like, a little sleep no more. Yeah, it, exactly. So, yeah. A little it, immersive, immersive experience. Exactly. It was pretty cool. Um, okay, what's your uh, favorite horror movie theme song, if any? Uh, Deepest Bluest, My Hat is Like a Shark's Fin from Deep Blue Sea. It, okay. <laughs> That's not one that I would have expected. I would have expected like your typical Halloween, The Exorcist, something like that. <laughs> no, no, no. Deepest Bluest, My Hat is Like a Shark's Fin. Man-made <laughs> terror, hungry jaws of death. Gonna cross my depths, I'll stop your breath. I cause you to sink down 40,000 leagues. Bleeding to death with no arms and short sleeves. My world's deep blue. Killers gotta eat too. Looking for human flesh to sink my teeth through. Other fish in the sea, but barracudas ain't equal to a half-human predator created by a needle. The entire song is about being a genetically modified shark. That's amazing. Was yeah, that song made know. for the movie, I'm assuming? What'd you say? Was that song made for the movie? I'm, oh, I'm... yeah. And the music, it's by LL Cool J, who's in the movie. Right. And uh, the music video is takes place in the un, they shot it on all of the sets from the movie that's awesome so so <laughs> it, it, it's ll cool j in deep blue sea rapping about being in deep blue sea that's amazing it, it's it, incredible it kind of uh has similar vibes to the uh partners in crime uh teenage Mutant ninja turtle song from the 1990 movie <laughs> oh yeah of course or, yeah. or didn't, didn't will smith have a song about freddy krueger y yes he did nightmare on my street <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, they, they used to be way more dope with that shit. Right? Uh, yeah, that's funny. Uh, okay, do you have any fond Halloween memories, like, from when you were a kid? No, but for years, uh, we would rent a party bus, and uh, me and my friends would drive around L.A. going crazy. Uh, and basically, we would go from party to party, but eventually sort of the party became the bus. Right. <laughs> and uh, we would arrive at parties already drunk and going crazy right. so a party would a party would have like maybe 40 people like hanging out in a backyard in the valley and all of a sudden literally another 25 people would arrive all at once all drunk all going insane right. and it was it was just spectacular that's awesome yeah no regrets <laughs> um do you believe in ghosts no I heard a story of a podcast where you said a pretty interesting story about a ghost. Yeah, I have, I had some strange experiences, but I think I, my own strange experiences ultimately 
I, I can't, I can't, if, if there were ghosts, like honestly, everyone has iPhones. Right. Like if there were ghosts, we'd see the ghost. Right. The ghost can't, there's nowhere for the ghost to hide anymore. There's no like experience where your iPhone isn't next to you. So, so every what do every you think the concept of a ghost is then like if, if all these do you think it's some kind of like uh like just people's minds playing tricks on them or do you I think, think it's, there's yeah i think it's failures of human perception ignorance and wishful thinking um i would be delighted if ghosts existed that would be like so exciting right so are, are are you completely like opposed to the concept of it or, or do you think if someone had like some valuable like tangible evidence would you be able to change your mind on it i my greatest flaw as a politically minded person um is that i am very open to new information right and change my opinion extremely quickly if someone showed me a video of a ghost i'd be like i guess ghosts exist <laughs> right <laughs> That's funny. Okay, uh, next question. Uh, I try not to attach beliefs like that to my identity. Well, that's the, sure. I, I, I appreciate that. That, that makes sense. Um, okay, what creeps you out? Like, what, what gives you, like, if you're walking down the street by yourself, like, do you get that, like, the hair standing up on your neck or anything? Or Everyone gets that, but what really gets me is road rash. Um, for, for some reason, you know when you fall and you scrape your knee or you scrape yeah. your leg and you have that like superficial but bloody injury that kind of burns and kind of stings? Right. I'm afraid of that. And when I see people who have it, I go, ah, and I get chills all over my body. Right. And when I get it myself, I just, I'm freaked out the whole time. I'm freaked. Yeah, it's weird. I have like a phobia of it. Wow. Okay. I've literally never heard of that before. So that's interesting. Um, happy to be the first. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Jason, Freddie, or Michael? Freddie. Interesting. There's the most to do. That is true. He has the most unused potential. But I, I think he also has some of the weakest movies, though. No. <laughs> I, I disagree with you. Really? I think yeah, there are more good Nightmare on Elm Street movies than there are. There are more interesting Nightmare on Elm Street movies than there are Halloween and Friday movies. Um, How many really good Halloweens are there? Three? Not including a remake? I, mean, uh, I like, I like the, okay, so the original Halloween was the first horror movie I ever saw. So that's always my favorite. Um, yeah. I love Halloween 3. I know it's really getting like its own like renaissance right now because <laughs> like before people hated it and now people are starting to appreciate it um and then honestly i like five like how how familiar are you with that series is five is five the black rose blackthorn cult no that's six um five five starts out really slow um, but they end up going to the tower farm party and they go back to the Myers house, but it's all Gothic now. And then there's like a laundry chute chase. I don't remember that at all. Okay. Oh, is that the one where, is that the one where the little girl is in it? And then she starts to turn bad. Yeah. Okay. So she's in the end of how, well, she's in all of Halloween four as well, but then she like kind of kills her stepmom at the end of four. And then in five, you think that she's going to be the killer, but she's mute for 95% of the movie. 
Is she in? Is she in Curse of Michael Myers also? She is, but played by a different actress. So that's almost like the Lo- the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Okay, dude, we literally on the on the podcast we came up with the four, five, and six are are for Jamie Lloyd for Halloween, and four, five, and six are for Tommy Jarvis as well. And they both both of those trilogies play with who is the killer. Exactly. Isn't that interesting? That's fascinating. Right. Yeah. We, we came up with that and we're like, oh yeah, no one else has probably come up with this yet. So yeah, that's interesting, right? Uh, okay. Who's your favorite universal monster? Oh, Wolfman. Me too. Is that because, and I, I was trying to go this whole episode without bringing up your dad, but I think it's kind of inevitable. Uh, is that because, uh, your dad was involved with Wolfman movies and, and stuff like that? Well, my dad isn't involved in Wolfman well, movies. He's involved in were, werewolf, werewolf movies. A Wolfman is a different thing. But your dad did do, uh, he narrated a documentary for the Wolfman. Because he loves the Wolfman. But his favorite is Kong. That's, it. That's dad's guy. Is, would, is, would you include that in the Universal Monsters list, though? Fuck yes! Interesting. Okay, the fact I, that they don't include it is just marketing. Of course he's a universal monster. He was on the universal fucking tram tour. That's true. Interesting. Okay. Um, last question of like this group. Uh, what's the most memorable death scene in any horror movie? Um, the Jewish guy getting stabbed by the Nazi in uh, Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Oh, you said any horror movie. I mean, like that's a. Me- I mean, like that is a horror movie to most people, right? Like, it's horrifying. Yeah, it is horrifying. Yeah, um, that scene is especially upsetting. Uh, I think some of the deaths in Wolf Creek really upset me. Right. Uh, uh, oh, uh, you know what it is. You know what the worst death is. I'll take it back. I'll give you a sincere answer. Okay. In the Poughkeepsie tapes, the girl who's trapped in the back of the police car and then she, he's tied her to that thing and he crawls over to her and then stabs her in the neck really slowly and you right. watch her die for literally like a minute and a half. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is terrible. <laughs> yeah, that movie is really upsetting. Yeah, it's not a fun time. Um... I was... I was really impressed by it when I saw it just because I was like, wow, they really, damn, they really going for it. This movie's fucked up. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so quickly jumping off all that stuff. I know we don't have a whole lot of time left. Um, Just out of curiosity, because I don't know how much you can or want to talk about it, but I know that you were involved with the Creature from the Black Lagoon remake for a bit, right? Yeah, I was. was that, I'm assuming not, but was that uh, a part of the Dark Universe or no? Uh, I was going into it, you know, they had no clear idea of what they wanted to do with the Dark Universe at that point. They were like frantically, frantically trying to find a, a thing to do with right. it. So I created a character for that script who I absolutely adored, who's this woman who works with a sort of it's a rescue agency, but it's a private rescue agency. It's kind of like Blackwater, except for it's corporate. And they are called in all over the world in disasters for areas with bad infrastructure uh, by, by places that have corporate interests to protect in those areas. So, so basically they are superheroes, but they're not superheroes. They don't have powers. They're just basically privately paid 
best in the world operators. It would be like if James Bond ran a fucking ambulance service right. and, and, and also the ambulance service cost literally a billion dollars. Right. So, so there are simultaneously really good people, but they are all and doing good things hired by bad people protecting corporate interests. So, so they'll, so in theory, here's an example. Let's say there's a giant fucking fire in Africa on an oil field and it endangers a town that's very, very oil rich, but the town has no infrastructure, no fire department. Well, an oil company pays this company to come swooping in. The company saves everybody in the town mm -hmm. and does an incredible job treating all the injured and all the African people, getting in, in touch with the government, relaying people out, putting out the fire but they're only doing it because that oil company told them to do it. So <laughs> if, so anyway, the My Creature remake took place uh, on the eve of a major hurricane uh, in a city kind of like Tampa or Orlando, uh, where there was a massive Disney World style theme park called Starland. And there has to be a massive evacuation of this area. And this woman is sent in with her team and she finds out that a kid has gone missing in the evacuation. Right. And the hunt for the kid leads them into the abandoned Disney World style theme park as the hurricane hits. So 70% of the movie took place in a fictional version of Disneyland. That's so which, cool. <laughs> it was so cool. By the way, that is rapidly flooding and falling apart. Right. So I got to... I made up all these Disney characters. I made up a fake Walt Disney, Joseph Starr, and all this cool stuff and then somewhere in this park there is a thing that has been used to live in the swamps and now it lives in the guts of the park that and <laughs> the hurricane is bringing it out oh man that would have been such a cool movie it's it's awesome you yeah. know it's fuck, I, i'm proud of that script i i really loved it but uh unfortunately for reasons outside of my control that never ended up happening yeah um do you think that the universal monsters would work in a shared universe it, they already did. Universal monsters are the original shared universe. Everything other, every you know, in the 1940s, you had House of Dracula, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, meet the Invisible Man. You know, there there were multiple crossovers. That is true. And, and they were, you know, fucking uh, what's Lon Chaney played uh, fucking William Tal William Talbot or Larry Talbot across like five movies, so it was clearly the same universe. That is true. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, they already did. The fact that they failed to do it again was about scope and ambition. Right. They, they should have been doing it at, like, a $30 million level, at, like, an Invisible Man level. Yeah, that movie and was then, good. And then slowly bringing them together, and instead they tried to do a Marvel movie, and that's wrong, obviously. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you have any time to talk about uh, your new play, Polybius, or...? I would love to. I will make time. Okay. <laughs> um, so this is your first published play. Um, was this the first one that you've ever written? Uh, I had a play about zombies in college called Bruce in the Yard uh, that was actually produced uh, independently by students who were a fan of the script, which oh, was very, awesome. <laughs> very exciting. Uh, and it was actually, that was actually my first produced thing. Really? Was, yeah, it was a play. And you know, wow. I'm a writer, I'm a writer who lives very comfortably in dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, and so in movies, there's really only so much you can get people 
to do, especially in the types of movies I write. Right. So I wanted to do a play again because I just sort of wanted to do something that lived entirely in dialogue. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it's crazy because, like, the whole play, like, it, it doesn't stop with just, like, the dialogue. And I mean that in the best way possible. Like, it, it, the dialogue in Polybius, like, takes you from, obviously, the beginning to the end. But, like, it, you never, it's never, like, a dull moment where you just feel like they're talking just to talk. Yeah, because I hide the entire plot inside the dialogue. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I, really, appre I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Uh, you. You read it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Do you, do you like it? You seem like you liked it. I, I, I really liked it a lot. Like, at, at first I was like, okay, where's he going with this? Because I have kind of like, um, I'm also ashamed to say this, but my uh, knowledge of Polybius only comes from, I watched uh, the James Rolfe video about it like three years ago when he, he did his own version of it. Uh, so I that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. But then I was like, okay, what is this story going to be about? And then um i i was just completely like blown away as i kept reading it. and i was like oh wow like these characters at first you're like oh like whatever like there's just like these weird characters and then they get like intense <laughs> yeah i uh do we want to put a, a warning right now spoilers for polybius i guess till the end of the podcast yeah. uh it's available on on amazon in paperback and ebook form i suggest paperback because it's kind of a cool paperback it is i um, really like it yeah, it's kind of a cool looking little thing. Uh, but but spoilers for Polybius now, so we can discuss it uh, more openly. Yeah. Uh, any questions you have, I would be delighted to, to answer. I, I really enjoyed writing it. And I'm so happy people are enjoying it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I, I'm just more like interested in like, how, why, why this story? And like, why as like a play, like what, what about this made you think like to do it as a play opposed to like a novel or something like that? Do you want, uh, I'll give you an honest answer, okay. which is uh, politics. Uh, Polybius plays, as I'm sure you noticed, with very sensitive subjects, um, very sensitive subjects that it, it sort of toys with that are very much in the public discourse right now. And that's because Polybius, my play, was kind of inspired by Gamergate. It, 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 it's inspired by Twitter and the internet. The fact that we online present ourselves as definitive versions of ourselves with definitive feelings and definitive opinions. And, and we have lines and our identities are very fragile and we need to protect them and we'll get in fights with strangers and we'll get in fights with people we know that we would never get in fights with in person you know, because yeah. we, don't, we don't exist as definitive versions of ourselves. We exist as these layered, messy flows of personality and emotion and, and uh, things we've learned from our parents and things we've learned from our experiences. We exist in this very messy way, except on, online, people get so comfortable presenting themselves as a definitive, here's what I believe, I'll fight you on it, I don't want to hear otherwise. And I wanted to, something about looking into a screen and then becoming an abstraction of yourself that exists definitively and has no uncertainty. I thought, man, that's dangerous. That would be a dangerous way to live. Like you'd end up hurting yourself or someone else because the contradictions within you as a human being would not be sustainable. Right. And, and so I thought, what a crazy thing. Like, 
I want to write something. I'd always been fascinated by the idea of Polybius, by the idea of this sort of MK Ultra deep, dark conspiracy thing. Maybe it's haunted, maybe it's supernatural, maybe it's a government weapon. I'd always been fascinated by the vagaries of that urban legend mm -hmm. and, and really how little there is there right. and, and yet how compelling it is to people. And so I knew going into this, I couldn't make it about the video game. Right. Because then I'd have to explain the lore of this made up thing. And exactly. no one wants no one wants to hear that, right? You right. don't Especially want not in a play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want like some fucking Halloween three investigation <laughs> into why this thing turns kids' heads into bugs, you know, right. or, or you know, what what you want, what I began to think is okay, how do I use a video game to show that our society has become a video game. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's sort of where the idea came from. And the play aspect of it is because I, I was interested in the societal, emotional, and psychological component of people expressing emphatically the most extreme version of how they actually feel. Right. And I was like, man, if you did that in person, within an hour, you'd all try to fuck each other. You'd all try to kill each other. You'd be yelling the whole time. And then I thought, oh, I kind of want to, I kind of want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so uh, are there, like, are, are your hopes that theater companies are going to put the show on or, or are you like content as of right now with people just buying it and reading it for their own enjoyment? As you know, uh, without going too far into it, my career is sort of in a strange state at the moment. Right. Um, and that strange state is in some ways reflective of just me and is in other ways reflective of where we're at as a society. Right. So, so I have chosen not to stop existing as an artist. Uh, if anything, I want to exist more as an artist and less as someone who is sort of fueled by this endless chase of more and more and more success. And you know, that never really, ultimately for me, JT, that sort of never vibed. It never felt right. I was getting more out of like making weird shit for YouTube than I was out of like selling movies to Netflix. That doesn't make sense. Right. So I'm in a space now where artistically I feel very free. And I think I'm gonna publish more stuff, the money, is not a component for me. I just think I have some pretty fucking cool stories to tell people. Yeah. And so if it gets made, that would be fucking amazing. But you know, when I published it, I was aware I was publishing a, uh, a manuscript for live performance in a social environment where we cannot meet in large scale. Right, exactly. So my ambitions are that people read it and enjoy it and hopefully get something out of it as it is. Uh, should it be produced, I think it will be unbelievably cool. Yeah, and either. yeah, especially all the destruction that happens during right. it. And, uh, I don't, do you have any qu other questions about the story? I, I do have to go soon, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, no problem. Um, no, I mean like I, I'd, I would rather probably try to keep things like as, I, even though we said spoiler free stuff, like I, I just feel like it might be best if people just pick it up. It, it's a cheap book. You know what I mean? Like people are able to, to get it for a very cheap price. So I honestly am just saying, if anyone's listening to this episode, 
go and buy it because it's a really fun read. I mean, Max, you did an incredible job. I love all three of those characters until I don't love them, you know? <laughs> I hope you end up loving them. I no, hope for you sure, for sure. Forgive them for all they... Yeah, they're they're not, you know, they're not uncomplicated people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're not uh they're not uncomplicated people. And and I wanted to do a play about how hard it is to be unco- a complicated person in right. an environment in an environment where you're not allowed to be one. Right. And that's it. I mean, that's, that sums it up perfectly. That sums up where we are as a society right now perfectly. I just think that it's to to pair it with the backdrop of the urban legend of the Polybius game with like that context. I really think that you did an awesome uh, social commentary worthy of George Romero. <laughs> Thank you so much, my dude. What the thing, the sort of game of it for me, and you can tell me if I, if I did it or not, or if I failed or succeeded in this effort, but the game of it for me was to do a social commentary thing that you only realize that you experience as like a fun story. Right. And that's like crazy and emotional and intense. But then you realize it's a social commentary when you hear me say, oh, and it's a social con, And then <laughs> right. it becomes clear what it is. Right, exactly. But I, n- I never wanted you to be reading it feeling like I was preaching. Right. No, I, I never felt that you were preaching the whole time. And I, I feel that it works. Like the, the subtext is definitely on the top if you're looking for it, you know what I mean? But it's also enjoyable if you're not looking at that too. Yeah, it's like, you know, you said George Romero and that's incredibly flattering because it is like Night of the Living Dead. Right. You know, where once you get, oh, he's a black guy and they fucking, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like it's like, oh, okay, I, I see what's happening here. There's something, there's something wonderful about realizing it. And, and I, just, I just had so much fun writing it. I just hope people love it. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, well, I should probably wrap this up so you can get out of here. Um, Max, yeah, thank you my very much. Thank you very much for coming on here. Um, would you mind, we have a little uh, tagline at the end of every episode. Would you mind just saying uh, your name and then say to have a spooky day? Hi, I'm Max Landis, and you will undoubtedly have a spooky day.